Hello and shalom everybody. My name is Julia Jassy and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Before we start the show, if you're a regular listener, you know the drill. If you're new here, amazing. Welcome. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss out on our new episodes coming out weekly. Let's get right into it. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Michal Cullen, Chief Marketing Officer of Jewish on Campus. Michal has been an integral part of Jewish on Campus since it was founded over a year ago. And I can attest to that since I am the Chief Executive Officer and one of the founders. She has used her powerful history as an Israeli-American woman to fight tirelessly for the Jewish community. And boy, has she faced some intense anti-Semitism for doing so. But like Jewish women do, Michal keeps fighting on, now as an executive member of a nonprofit organization that has reached more success than anybody could have imagined, in large part because of its leadership of young, authentic voices. I might be just a little bit biased, but I think that Jewish on Campus is freaking awesome. And so is Michal. In this conversation today, I want to hear about Michal's experience with anti-Semitism, especially as an Israeli-American college student at a time when universities are not always friendly places for Israelis. I want to hear what she thinks Americans get wrong about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And really, I want to dive into the work that we do together from her perspective. You know that I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Michal Cohen is a senior at American University, studying public relations and strategic communications with a double minor in Israel studies and political science. Wow, that's a lot to study. She is a first-generation Israeli-American, and outside of school, she works with me as the chief marketing officer of Jewish On Campus. When she isn't working for Jewish On Campus or her three other internships, she is at SoulCycle with her dog, Toby, or reading. Michal, it's so great to have you. You're one of my closest friends in the world, so having you on this podcast just feels awesome today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us about where you're from? Sure. So I like to say that I'm from everywhere and nowhere. Um, (laughs) I, I was born in New York, and then I moved to LA, and then I moved to Miami, and then I moved to Israel, and then I moved back to Miami. And now I go to school in D.C., but most of my family is from Brazil, Argentina, Romania. Oh, my goodness. I'm from everywhere, basically. (laughs) And so you grew up in the U.S.? Yeah. At what point did you move abroad to Israel? So I moved to Israel when I was 10. So right before. Gotcha. Like middle school and elementary school. We moved back because it was very hard, I think, for me and and particularly me to acclimate in the sense that yeah living in Israel is not easy as much as mm-hmm. it's very much glamorized in the US and I just in the diaspora in general but mm-hmm. moving there especially at such a young age is really hard you know the cultural shift um, the way of life the quality of living is so different from here mm-hmm. Um, And it was really hard. And so we decided that before high school, it would be better for me to move here, to move back. How has that relationship with Judaism shifted as you've lived in the diaspora and in Israel and then back in the diaspora? Yeah, I would say, so I grew up 
modern orthodox. I still am modern orthodox. My relationship with Judaism has definitely ebbed and flowed mm-hmm. in the sense of when I was younger, I never I didn't really have an opinion and I don't think a lot of young Jews necessarily or like children, Jewish children have an opinion on Judaism just because it comes so naturally and you're you're spoon-fed it and like you don't really like have thoughts and opinions yet. Um mm-hmm. but as I was going into middle school and like end of elementary school, that definitely changed in the sense that I was thinking about it more. Um, I I definitely had some resentment towards it. Um, and and then definitely when I was going into when I was going into college, that was kind of this point in my life where no one was watching me whether to keep Shabbat, to keep kosher, uh, to do the holidays. Um, and so I had to make a conscious decision whether I wanted to be mine, whether, you know, it's not something that my parents, you know, forced me or, or you know, someone was like watching me or, or anything like that. Like I had the decision whether I wanted to continue living this Jewish life or whether I wanted to, you know, just be another kid. And then mm-hmm. through a lot of, you know, thought and, and really like this back and forth with myself, I decided, yes, mm-hmm. like I, how did I ever think I, I didn't want to live this life? Um, and yeah. so now I keep Shabbat and, and kosher and all that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so the relationship with Judaism in America is really, really specific and distinct. And there are so many things that are so particular to the Jewish American community. Even the name of this podcast, Nice Jewish Girls, or different different tropes like the Jewish American Princess, they're all so specific to the American Jewish community. I mean, in particular, the New York Jewish community, just being from New York myself, it's something that I grew up with. Was that something that shifted the relationship to Judaism as a cultural thing when you were in Israel versus when you were in the U.S.? That's a good question. I never, <laughs> I never heard of nice Jewish girl, Jewish American princess, nice Jewish boy, like all this very American Jewish like lingo before high school. Mm-hmm. I moved back to the U.S. and I remember the first time mm-hmm. I heard it, I was like, "What?" <laughs> because Judaism in in America specifically versus Judaism in Israel is so different. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., it's very much either you're in a community or you're out. In Israel, that's mm-hmm. not really a thing because it is like there one. isn't an out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not in the sense of here, um, but you have like atheist Jews living in Israel who like live their lives as cultural Jews. But here in the U.S., you don't really see that. Like, for example, my dad, he grew up like an atheist Jew. Mm. Um, in the U.S. or in Israel? In Israel. Um, yeah. his gra- his, my, my grandfather, his father, he, he's a physicist who worked in the secret but not so secret nuclear facility in Dimona. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so... They were like, yeah, we believe in science. What's he mean, you know, God and, you know, seven days of creation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they were atheists and like they loved Israel. They were Zionists. 
Yeah. Uh, but they were still part of, you know, the Jewish community. But here, you don't, like, in the U.S., you don't really see that. I mean, now my dad is, like, religious and everything, but mm-hmm. it's just interesting yeah. to see the difference. It's interesting because, I mean, America is, I think we talk about this a lot um, in the Jewish community more broadly recently, kind of reckoning with the fact that America is culturally Christian, um, even though a lot of people aren't um, or might be atheist. Um, And a lot of the time, people who aren't Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or Sikh or other religions don't kind of take that for granted. Um, because they grew up in a community where it was super normal to have off for Christmas and for Easter, even if that's the only extent to your relationship with your religion. Um, whereas with Judaism, there are so many cultural pieces of it and we have to almost minimize our Judaism into just our religion when we're in public spaces, which it's a lot more than that. It's also, uh, it's an ethno religion, but it's all, it's, you can get into the whole complicated definition of Judaism. Um, but it's it's just an interesting dynamic. Um, and in Israel, it's different because the entire country is culturally Jewish. So that's just, that's the mainstream. And so it's different here. How has that been kind of coming back now that you're in college? How has it been now, especially because you're an Israeli woman, and I think that, that gives you a particularly difficult lens on it. Yeah, it's interesting what you said, because now that I'm thinking about it, I never... When I was living in Israel, I never, like, had this conscious thought of, yeah, like, I'm Jewish and it's a religion. Like, the religious part of it. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it's not a conscious thought in the same way that here I wake up and I was like, yeah, I'm, like, Jewish and everyone sees me as, like, just a religion. But in Israel, like, I, that's not, like, something you think about. Which is very, like, now that I'm thinking about it, it, it is very interesting. You go to your three different Jewish internships and three different <laughs> Jewish organizations, and that's just not really a conscious thing there. It's, it's yeah. I mean, not just that, because you have, for example, in Tel Aviv, you have so many restaurants that aren't even kosher. Like, yeah, it's not, and not only that, you have so many, like, rifts between, like, the secular Jewish community and like the religious Jewish community, which isn't even talked about. Now, that's like a whole other thing we can get into, but you don't like actively think, yeah, I'm Jewish. I'm like, yeah, like I'm mm-hmm. like a person and my grandparents survived this genocide and my other grandparents survived that genocide and now we're here. So now that you are navigating going to college in America as an Israeli Jewish woman, how has that experience been like for you, especially now as a lot of the public view of Israeli people is is shifting in a really disturbing way? Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, it's been um <laughs> it's been interesting. I I would yeah. say that I I mean I grew up in like the most Jewish bubble ever, in the sense mm-hmm. that I went to Jewish day school, I had my synagogue, I had my cute Israeli community back home where we only spoke Hebrew and mm-hmm. you know our Thanksgiving was basically like falafel and hummus trina the whole night so it was mine actually <laughs> <laughs> so like that's that's just how I grew up I, I didn't yeah un- I understood that anti-semitism was out there and I understood that people didn't like Israel but I didn't I, I I've never seen it yeah and so going into um, going into college, 
I, I didn't realize how prevalent it was. So I would I would always say, yeah, I'm Israeli, like, da-da-da-da-da. And I would always get weird stares. And then, because it was just, yeah, like, that's who I am. Like, that's a huge part of my identity. And, like, even just my name, like, Michal Cohen, like, it's in your face. And Wait, it's not Michael? This is shocking. <laughs> it's actually funny because Michael Cohen actually went to... American University. So I I'm sure there are so many Michael Cohen's also. <laughs> it, actually the print the new like rabbi of my sibling school, my old school, is Michael Cohen. So I was joking with my mom. So I was funny. like, Ima, this is actually like, you know, dual identity. Like this is what I do when I leave the house every night. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thinks that your name is Michael when they first meet you. <laughs> oh, hundred and ten percent. It's it's a it's a running joke at this point. Um, oh yeah <laughs> but it it was definitely like a very rude awakening in the sense that all of a sudden I have to fight to get Shabbat off or like you know I can't do this assignment on Shabbat they're like and my professor would be like but just do it after and I was like do you know how late it gets out on Saturdays like do you want to do like your homework at like 9 10 p.m no or, you know, on the holidays, which falls, like, this year, it falls, like, on a Monday and a Tuesday, which is, like, smack dab in the middle of of a school year, of uh, the school week. Um, and just, like, things like that, where I would constantly get pushback for it. And then that's, like, me being a religious Jew, probably the only religious Jew at my university. And then being an Israeli, it's very much constantly getting pushback for my identity or you know being called the million and one you know names that Israelis face on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and I just every day is I wake up and I have to in a sense a protect like my identity like my family because my family like my parents they're like one of the most, like they're the strongest Zionists I know, as well as my grandparents who, and my great grandparents who, you know, fought their way into the country, into Israel. Kind of where I come in in all this is to show we're all, like, Israelis are normal people. Like, we wake up, mm-hmm. we complain about spoiled milk, <laughs> we go to school, we deal with traffic. There's way too many people on the buses, although I don't think now that there is as many people. Right now, probably not. (laughs) But I think this conversation around, you know, Israelis is very much, we're all bloodthirsty monsters who, like, kill X amount of children every day. And I kind of see my role in this whole conversation around Israelis as, no, we're normal. Yeah. We're humans. And, you know... We live our lives, and contrary to popular belief, we don't think about the conflict every waking second. I mean, when I was living in Israel, like, the conflict wasn't on my mind all the time. Like, I would go to school. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. That wasn't, like, an active, like, thought that I had, like, every waking second. I mean, even, like, in 2014, I was still living there, and... I basically lived like an outbreak of a war and I've had 
like a bus that was blown up right next to my school, like so oh close that like the walls shook. And at first we thought it was a rocket, but it was actually just a bomb <laughs> that blew up on a bus. Um, I mean, the fact that your first thought was like, oh yeah, this is a rocket. It's, that's such a, I mean, I think that a lot of people in America so misunderstand the Israeli Palestinian conflict, just like what you were saying, the idea that your first thought was that it was a rocket. What do you think we are getting wrong? What do you think Americans or anyone outside of Israel misunderstands about this conflict? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think here, and I definitely felt this in May with the recent flare-up between Israel and Hamas. Yeah. In the diaspora, especially in the U.S., it becomes all-consuming. Mm-hmm. But in Israel, it's... You, li- you live your life. It, your life, when there's a rocket, is not put on hold. I mean, we would still go to the grocery store. I would still go to school. Um, I would still, you know, go to, out to restaurants. And in the sense that your life isn't put on hold because of it. And I think that's not just in terms of Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but I think that's just a lesson for life in the sense you, you can't let this thing put your life on hold. Um, You can't let, you know, in the terms of the U.S., you can't let anti-Semitism put your life on hold. I think one of the biggest ways to combat anti-Semitism is to not let it Mm -hmm. become an all-consuming thing. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I've learned very recently that I'm, like, starting to, like, come to grips with. But something else that I think that's not understood is how, not just with American Jewry, but I think just in general, is how close it is. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of your life that you've gotten used to. Yeah, I mean, it's like strange to like think that, but yeah, I think part of it is because almost all Israelis went into the army. They understand the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. They understand what war means. They understand that whether we like it or not, like, it's necessary, right? Like, mm-hmm. to, A, if, some, if you know, you have Hamas who wants to get rid of the Jewish state, if they're attacking Israel, we're not going to sit by, right? So that mm-hmm. Israelis understand this is necessary, but they also, like, understand what's happening because we've, they've all been to the army. Um, and I think that's something that, needs to be, like, talked a lot more. Mm -hmm. So you'd mentioned before about not letting the conflict stop you or not letting in the diaspora anti-Semitism stop you in your life. Um, And you are really involved with Jewish activism. So even um, anti-Semitism is a super different experience in the U.S., um, then it is in Israel. Um, this is a space that you and I have explored together a lot because we both work at Jewish on campus. Um, for those of you who are unaware of Jewish on campus, come on, guys. Are you living under a rock? Uh, <laughs> it started off as a social media campaign and now is a nonprofit organization started and run entirely by college students. Saddle Flat started and run by me. I, I'm co-founder and CEO. Um, Michal is the CMO, and you've been involved with it since basically day two. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about Jewish on Campus and what your role is on this team? Sure. So I think you've explained what Jewish on Campus is in a very yeah. <laughs> two-second synopsis. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> my role in it, I, I, my roles since I started until now have changed a lot in the sense that I think I've had many different hats. Um, but what I do now is that I oversee our social media group, um, whether Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, as well as our graphic design team and our journalism team, which we just restart started up started it what is the journalism team they research what's going on on campuses so for example we just put out this piece on the rampant anti-semitism at Rutgers University that has been going on for years but no one has talked about it and our journalism team and our social media team we wrote an article about it our journalism team wrote an article article about it it was about the particular instance that happened so uh, two clubs on Rutgers University's campus called for the to defund Hillel, one of the largest Jewish organizations in the country and yeah. uh, an organization which, like, I mean, provides meals, Shabbat services, holidays, mm-hmm. just counsel and, and, and community for Jewish students um, because it's, it's Zionist and pro-Israel. Um, and allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> and, and so our journalism team wrote an article about it and how harmful it is and how Rutgers actually let this happen because they've had years of anti-Semitic incidents where Absolutely. just this year, the A Pi house won a, a, I want to say one of the largest Jewish fraternities in the U.S. Oh yeah, for sure. It was yes. egged on Yom Hashoah on Holocaust um, Memorial Day. Um, wow! And and they were also investigated by the Department of Education for for their anti-Semitism. And and this goes back wow. years to like the Obama administration. And so our our journalism team wrote an article about it, and our social media team uh, wrote a a graphic post very quickly explaining what's going on and the conversation shifted um yeah and everyone's talking about it now and so everyone is talking about it yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i just coordinate all that fun stuff what value do you see in using social media as this tool for for starting a conversation about anti-semitism yeah i think we are living in a very interesting time I don't want to say, say <laughs> I don't want to say unprecedented because I can't hear that word for another like 10 years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting time in the sense that everything is online. Our whole world is online essentially. And I think people are turning to social media, especially we saw it in 2020 when Jewish on campus started mm-hmm. because it's very easy to a share information and resources be connect with people from all across the world. And so I think using, not I think, I know that social, using social media, especially with rampant anti-Semitism that's on there, is so powerful in the sense that, A, we can combat it on there and take, you know, we need to take the fight to where the where anti-Semitism is. We can't just, yeah you know, the fight's happening on, on so the anti-Semitism is on social media and we're on, I don't know, Twitch. Like, that doesn't make sense. 
you have to yeah. go where 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 it is. I mean, I'm sure that there's anti-Semitism on Twitch. I don't know how I to use it. Know. I've never used it. <laughs> Me either. But I do know yeah. that there's like a lot of anti-Semitism on Instagram yeah, and Twitter yeah, yeah. in particular. And taking it somewhere else is that just doesn't make sense. So going to where it is and coming in with facts, with resources with community, I think is one of the biggest ways to A, combat anti-Semitism, B, combat the rise of misinformation around what Judaism is, what Zionism is, what Israel is, the history of the Jewish people. Um, and, and I've definitely seen, I think, I know that's why Jewish Campus has been successful. And, and I think social media in that way has changed in the way that in the world of Jewish activism and just Jewish education. Totally. And one thing that's been so interesting about running this team, and now that we're talking, I'm thinking about it, um, is that we have a team run mostly by women. Like we, we made a joke when we were first starting that we might be the only team in the world that has to hire more men for there to be gender equality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What has that experience been like running this team of mostly young women from 18 to 23 who are involved in this really particular space? Yeah. uh, It's uh... (laughs) 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 Uh, it's been honestly amazing. And I don't think it's just, you know, we're mostly – you know, women from 18 to 23. It's also that every single woman on the team has comes from a very different background. Mm-hmm. So whether you're Sephardi, Mizrahi, Ashkenazi, a mix of both, all three or none. <laughs> I'm a pure, pure uh, bread <laughs> Ashkenazi. Although I am quickly learning that we might think that there's some spice in there, um, but we wouldn't know. A little know. bit of paprika. A little paprika. <laughs> exactly. But we wouldn't know because, uh, you know, anti-Semites. But. Genocide. <laughs> get to every time. Um, Our family histories are just so scattered because every other generation, there's like an ethnic cleansing somewhere. And it's like, come on, can't we stay in one place for like a couple of years? Like, exactly. My, it's funny because my, my fun fact in just everything is that my great-grandmother my grandmother, my mom, and I were all born in different countries. What countries? So my great-grandmother was somewhere in, like, Europe. I don't even know. My family yeah. does like doesn't really talk about life before Israel. Yeah, and I understand that. Mine doesn't really either. <laughs> my grandmother <laughs> in Brazil, my mom in Israel, and then me in the U.S. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So sorry, I I totally sidetracked us. Going back to the the question, what has it been? So there are women from all of these different identities, and they're all together. It's and, and men, of course, not to erase the men on our team, but there are just far more women than men. <laughs> yes, um, I I think it's needed because if yeah. you look, I mean, first of all, I think just in the nonprofit space, mm-hmm. men are the ones dominating the field. Mm-hmm. And you don't see a lot of women in power. I mean, not just in nonprofit, but in the world. <clears throat> and so having this place where you have women, powerful women, and a yeah. group of diverse, powerful women yeah. leading, <laughs> leading this fight 
not only it, it shows other Jewish women, young Jewish women, that yeah, you have a lot of power. Like, we hear Heck you. Yeah. We are, like, sounds weird, but we're one of you. Um, and yeah. don't let, you know, men, you know, like, this whole idea of glass ceiling. And I think JOC has really, you know, pushed that, has broken it in terms of the nonprofit space. And yeah, and really thinking about it, I think throughout Jewish history, it's been the woman constantly that has been behind you know, Jewish victory and Jewish survival. And so, in a sense, it makes sense that it's dominated by dominated. It's a weird word, but that it's run by Jewish mm-hmm. women, because Jewish women, time and time again, have aided in Jewish survival. Have you know? In war, you have, you know, Yudit and, and Yael and Miriam mm-hmm. who have, like, saved the Jewish people and, you know, won wars um, against people who, who wanted to destroy, you know, Jews. Um, and so through, like, this conversation, like, my, my brain working and thinking, mm-hmm. it, it just makes sense because... Women yeah. have constantly been in that role of saving Jews. And I mean, it's it weird. It's a, it's a little bit strange now just to say, oh, we're saving Jews. No, I know what you mean now. <laughs> but I think... Jewish on campus is saving Jews. <laughs> let's just switch the slogan. <laughs> right? Um, someone, someone change our website right now. We have to put that up. <laughs> Jewish on campus, saving Jews. No, but in the sense that we're... We're protecting or speaking up for Jews on campus. Um, yeah. The fact that it's dominated by Jewish women, just, you know, it makes sense with the trend of Jewish history, which is very long. Absolutely. And so there's a lot of precedent. Yeah. We've been around, we've been around for a while. And it's funny. Our, I mean, on previous episodes, we've spoken about the need to have female have women in C-suite positions and executive positions. Our C-suite is three women and one man. The one man is lovely, but it's mostly, it's mostly, it's mostly run by women. And that has created this really positive and inclusive culture on our team that I'm really proud of. On the flip side, Jewish women in this activist space get a ton of pushback, not just anti-Semitism, but also misogyny. What has your experience been like at this intersection? Uh, awful. <laughs> um, oh, <no. laughs> the intersection of anti-Semitism and misogyny is brutal beyond brutal. Mm-hmm. Jewish on Campus actually made a post about it because we are yeah, we mostly with, we are mostly run by women. We felt that it's, you know, it's like, of course, because so many of us on the team face it, it's like, of course, we need to make this post. Um, of course. So go yeah. check it out if you haven't already. Shameless plug, <laughs> Jewish on campus on Instagram. <laughs> um, and so, in my experience, and I think a lot of other Jewish women who are loud on the internet, and I think yeah. me being a very loud Israeli Jewish woman, mm-hmm. it's been not just people saying, oh, you're. A Zionist favorite killer, but also go fix your roots, or you're fat, or you're ugly, or 
you know, any other comments on, like, my, or, you know, someone was told me I should go to see a dermatologist and I should go on Accutane. I was like, sir, oh I know, God. don't rub it in my face. <laughs> yeah, and so... I've gotten some comments, like, I've gotten some disgusting comments like that as well. Yeah, I got this one this morning. Anyways... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> My face is breaking out right now, too. It's the stress. It is the stress. stress of the... An- I used to joke around that, like, if they can do one thing, if, like, the anti-Semitic community can do one thing, can they either just pay for, like, a dermatologist, a therapist, or a masseuse? Because I need all three. <laughs> or just all of the above. You know what? There's been a lot of damage. I think the least they can do is all of the above. <laughs> um, oh, my God. But it's definitely... Prevalent, and it, I think it's something that not a lot of people are talking about mm-hmm. in the sense that people who consider themselves to be social justice warriors or people fighting the good fight, whatever, however you want to phrase it, I see them the ones, at least in my comment sections and in my DMs, they're the ones that are usually commenting on the way that I look. Um, as well as mixed with the other, you know, anti-Semitic tropes. Yeah. And I think it's because, one, both misogyny and anti-Semitism are so ingrained in our culture that it just makes sense that there's an intersection between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because, in a way, it has become acceptable. Because, especially when it comes to Jews, anti-Semitism, the way that it's manifested, has always been... There's been a facet of it that's talked about, you know, the way that the Jew looks, right? How to spot a Jew, in a way. Yeah. And so, it it makes a lot of sense that, especially for Jewish women who are already, fa- especially for a woman who are facing misogyny, period, around the world, and for Jews mm-hmm. who are facing anti-Semitism, and for an Israeli who people don't want to even acknowledge that the country exists, that there's an intersection between all of them because it's so ingrained in our culture mm-hmm. and because it's just been the trend of, I guess, the world. Yeah. But I also think, A, it's becoming so much more prevalent and, and B, the Jewish community at large, especially Jew- Jewish men, need to do a, mm-hmm. a much better job at, A, standing up for Jewish women not to def- not to defend us because we don't need anyone to defend us. We're strong as heck. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> but I think a to call them out because they're not going to listen to us. They already are ridiculing the way that we look. But we need Jewish men a to push back on it and b to a, to acknowledge that it exists and for them to think what can I do to stop this? Right, because mm. Jews are already in such a vulnerable position, and I mean, I've heard countless stories of, and I'm sure you have too, of a Jewish man and a Jewish woman who have said the same exact thing, and mm. the Jewish woman has faced a lot more pushback, and so Jewish men need Absolutely. to need to be in this position to amplify Jewish women, not in a way that you know, poor us, poor us, but to fight back against this intersection of anti-Semitism and misogyny. In an empowering way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And that really, that really brings us to the last question and the point of this podcast. Because Michal, you're a role model for so many other Jewish women in the community who look to you as someone that they want to be like. Um, for a good reason, because you're awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and what we want this podcast to be is a chance for everyone, but especially young Jewish women, to have access to mentors when they're navigating the world um, in this space. What is one piece of advice you'd want them to take away from this conversation? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm going to... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to frame this into... So I have a little sister. Her name is Mary <laughs> And she's going into high school, oh, which wow. is like rough. And so I'm yeah. going to frame this as if I'm giving her a piece of advice. That is perfect. She didn't necessarily grow up in Israel. But, like, we both have an Israeli home, so I'm going to, like, leave a little bit of the Israeli piece out. But as a Jewish woman, mm-hmm. what I would want to tell her, or just as a woman in general, I think, is that you will face a lot of pushback in anything that you do. It doesn't matter whether it's with Judaism, with the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you walk. And that's going, that's going to follow you from high school until for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But something that I wish I knew when I was her age is that there's a huge community of Jewish women who are at your disposal for guidance and for mentorship. Mm -hmm. And don't ever think that you have to do it alone and that you have to keep it into yourself and that you have to internalize it and you have to be this perfect Jewish woman, young Jewish woman. Because that has gotten us nowhere. Break the rules when unnecessary. Like, don't, you know, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> like I have. I've done many stupid things. Yeah, we all have. We all have. <laughs> so don't, for her, and for everything, for a lot of young Jewish women, don't be afraid to break the rules. Because following the rules as women has, n- has never gotten us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And as Jewish women, I think the odds are stacked against us. Mm-hmm. And so for you, from Miriam, my sister, for you to take me as a resource, or if you don't want to talk to me, because whatever, that's fine. For you, I got her, I can help. <laughs> if you want to go to Julia and, and ask for guidance and ask for mentorship and ask for tips, go for it. And do it, because there is strength in numbers, and that is, A, how you, you have an organization like Jewish on Campus, which is run by women, is because we have broken the rules, because we have broken the status quo. And so never, ever be afraid to do that, to take that risk, to step on toes, um, and and to seek that community of Jewish women. Mm-hmm. Because that is how, A, the Jewish woman will continue to be in these positions of influence. Importance, yeah. Yes. And how the Jewish people as a whole will survive. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. And Michal, as always, it's so much fun to talk to you. And you're someone who I've grown so much by knowing. Um, and I'm just so thankful that you came and you chatted with us today. Thank, I mean, thank you so much for, for having me and, and for doing the work that you do and, and for really being a role model for, for Jewish women everywhere, young and old. The same for you, girl. We're in this together. <laughs> Heck, <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Can you guys tell Michal is the CMO of a nonprofit organization? Because she's really smart. 
I loved this conversation so much because Michal's experience growing up was just similar enough to mine for us to relate to one another, but also just different enough for mine for me to learn something new from her every time we speak. One thing we both really relate to, unfortunately, is online harassment. We've gotten death threats, assault threats, and more. As Michal's coworker and her friend, I've watched as she has been bullied and shamed because of where she's from, because of where she grew up, because of where her family raised her, and because she's proud of it. Michal easily could have just chosen to shut down. She could have stopped being a Jewish activist and instead had a very normal college experience. But that's just not Michal. She does not back down from a challenge. She rises above it. Instead of letting the hate she's faced stand in the way of her work, she's let it fuel her work. She's used it as motivation to fight for a future where Jewish women won't be abused for being Jewish women. Where an Israeli-American student can go into a college classroom without worrying that their professors will lower their grades because of where they're from. Where the world will see her, her family, her people as human, not as political objects. I am so inspired to work with Michal, and I'm so inspired to call her a friend. And more than anything, I am so inspired to have had the honor of introducing her to you all today. Michal is so much more than a nice Jewish girl. She is a fierce leader of the Jewish future, and I am so proud to know her. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And don't forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with Sabrina Miller, a political journalist and Jewish advocate on college antisemitism in the UK. Nice Jewish Girls, the production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. And one more time, if you haven't subscribed yet, guys, what are you waiting for? Let's do it. Don't forget to rate and review us too. It's the best way for other people to find the show. And of course, we all want that to happen. And don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.